Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 224, and I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, Demetric Ferguson. Host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. What's up, guys? What's up? What's happening? Did How you guys happen. been? It's happening. It's been rainy. Yeah, it's been kind of rainy here. It's too. been great here. It's wonderful. I had a nice pizza party last night. Made some pizzas on the, on the, on the oven. Oh. Wait, yeah. do you got, do you have a brick oven pizza? It's yeah. a it's a green egg. Uh you guys have a pizza party because you yeah. all made good grades. Yeah, I got I got E yeah. for exceptional. Perfect attendance, huh? <laughs> <laughs> At a pizza party. D, is it true that black people don't like brick oven pizza, or because what? What? Ke- that's what Kev- that's what Kevin Hart said on an interview this week. He said black people don't like brick oven pizza because bugs get in there and it's dirty and they don't trust it. Oh, yeah. The thing about Kevin Hart is sometimes he's an idiot. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. Um, pizza is delicious in all forms. All right. Even with anchovies on it. I had that recently. I was surprised. Cello, I believe you had an announcement before we go yeah. on a quick hard tangent here. Yeah, our friends at Token Market um really quick i just wanted to let you guys know that they are announcing the launch of their new security token offering service uh so we kind of partnered up with them through the months and this news is intended to assist issuers with a variety of service including tokenization of new and existing assets on the blockchain programming of associated token rights such as voting rights into the token smart contract on-chain governance blah 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 uh the main important thing is they have over $350 million worth of ICOs under their belt. So I think they know a thing or two about token offerings from technology to strategy. If you want to hear more, go to tokenmarket.net slash security dash token dash offering. And it's good. I do like those guys. Yeah. I was always weary of them at first. And then they, then they, you know, got legitimate projects under their belt for a long time and kept getting more and more legitimate projects. And like, you know, they offered a good service. Mm-hmm. He uh he's got uh Khabib on the McGregor fight. Yeah, so do yeah. I. Should we uh do we need a jingle for token market? We haven't made up a jingle in a while a while. Yeah. If you're launching a security token and you wanna make sure it isn't broken, you go to token market. Da 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 because then they will make you they, they, it fell apart. Yeah, it was going yeah. That was going well for a second. <laughs> you really just lost it. Yeah. I haven't done a jingle in a while. That's, That's a I need a matter of practice. I was happy. I was really happy with the way that was going. I was like, yeah, gee, you got it. And then it just, just got destroyed. Yeah. I fell off there at the end. Yeah. Rusty. Yeah. I've, been, 
I've been listening to too much EDM and not enough Texas rap. That's why yeah. I couldn't find the rhymes. <laughs> um, D, you had something? You had something as well? Yeah. Um, I'm not drinking out of hobo cups anymore. Uh, so that's what I wanted to tell the world. We're not streaming, but I do have a coffee mug now. With a fun quote on it. Yeah, yeah. it says, we can do this. Signed, coffee. So, um, Where do you get mugs? I like realized that? The, you get them at Target on the clearance rack. For hey, guys. You're going to have to excuse me for three minutes while I beat my family's ass. Right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, three and a half years of recording, yeah. and he the, still cannot find a silent moment in his house. That poor man. Kazan is charging up like Colossus in that X-Men arcade game in the back. It is very funny for us. But anyways, uh, yeah, I realized that the, the, the finest hobo cup is strictly less than the quality of just a regular mug. So I got rid of the hobo cups and got myself a coffee mug. Yeah, welcome to the humanity. All right, peace and quiet. Um, now that Chell's family has been beaten senseless, we can probably yes. talk about some blockchain. Mm-hmm. Marcello, wipe that blood off your shin. Shin. <laughs> I taped my knuckles. You don't want the police. You did like the whole that. blood sport thing where you like dipped your knuckles in glass? That was kickboxer, my friend. Oh, it was kickboxer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was not blood sport. The Kumite. Um, don't worry. Chelo, there is something in the Slack um, this week. Some, we were talking about something, and you were like, hey, let's talk about that on the talking point because it piqued your interest. Yeah, it's, it's, I've just been hearing a lot about how it's a win for Bitcoin if banks adopt it. And it's just like when we started like three, four years ago, like Bitcoin was supposed to like unbank the banking system. We were supposed to take control of our money. And that narrative has kind of shifted into, well, the only way mass adoption is going to happen is if the infrastructure is quietly running in the background and people don't know that they're using it. And I just think that that's a bad attitude. That's a bad way for this uh, technology to get adopted. And I feel like I'm in the minority. seems like everyone I talk to about this feels like it's the only way. It's, it's an acceptable way. It's a suitable way. Um, but I just, I just think that um, the initial goal, and I kind of sound like Roger Ver here, the initial vision of Bitcoin just didn't take shape. And instead of working on it, now we're pivoting to a, an alternative solution on how we can implement this, this technology. And I'm just... I'm, I'm not I'm not with it, but then you said, well, then there needs to be some kind of um, custodial remittance service on top of it that can kind of help the barrier to entry. And I wanted you to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, so you have like Bitcoin by itself is a permissionless infrastructure. You don't have to ask permission to build on top of it. You don't have to ask permission to contribute to it, to make, you know, to use it, so on and so forth. Um, but it has some like, barriers to entry in terms of how you use it it's got some it's got some difficulty associated with it it's like it, it puts more responsibility on the individual to manage their private keys and their wealth if you want to use this permissionless system and that's not the solution for everybody but luckily you can build custodial services on top of decentralized permissionless architecture or, or, or infrastructure and it can run just the same as centralized permissioned architecture but it's built on a system that can communicate with people who are using the the like the base layer underneath it so you can have things like coinbase that run as custodial services and hold on to your bitcoin and make it really really easy to use that's built on top of it's built on top of bitcoin so i can still use bitcoin the way i want to if i want to own my own private keys 
and interact with people who don't. It doesn't have to be a disconnect of people who do and who don't want to use this type of stuff. So, but you can't go the other way around. You can't you can't build decentralized permissionless architecture on top of a permissioned infrastructure, right? There's no, there's no way to do that. And that's and it seems to be that's the correct way to move forward for like adopting amount of people who don't care about some of the things that the people in this space care about. Because at the end of the day, like there's a vast majority of the people who use the internet don't understand how the internet works. They just use it because it gives them functionality that they want. And this is going to be the same thing, but with money and value exchange. It's the exact same thing, in my opinion. Where's the revolution then? Where I mean, options. Grid- the revolution is options. If you have the four option, pe- four to families, this. four families have accepted electricity from Grid Plus this week. So they are now running. Uh, they're they got rid of TXU or whoever they use, and they're now using Grid Plus. Are these GPPs or are these people who are going to know about Grid Plus, seek them out, and sign up for their services? Well, I mm-hmm. hope that there's a portion of people who learn about this stuff, like people who like get Grid Plus, and they're like, "What is this blockchain?" And I, if they didn't know about it before, if they start digging into it, and then they they like they get it. They it, it allows them to dive further into certain things, and it, maybe that was the entrance to them actually starting to care. Like, that's what I want. I want every single customer to be like that. Well, that's not going to happen. What? Well, then there's not going to be a revolution. Then sure it's it just sure it is. I don't. I don't it, it's no, it's it's need, options. No. Why do you need a revolution? I'm curious. I mean, revolutions is you. I mean, you only get like one in a lifetime, and this is like our first dual revolution lifetime. It's never happened before. Really? It's exciting. I think every generation thinks they get a revolution when they don't. Yeah, uh, there's 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 a lots of different types of revolutions. It's not just like a world. This is the first like worldwide one I think that's we've been a part of. I, I take that back. We had the internet growing up. We saw the internet grow. I we yeah. I remember life without the internet because it didn't exist. But that wasn't a revolution. Ah, uh, I think it was. It was revolutionary. For I'd who? Say. For who? For the access of information. You can you can access anything that you want, any type of information that you want. You can get it pocket. on your in your pocket. I think that it's much less of a revolution and kind of like an evolution onto how we already do things. Because yeah, we have information, we have information in our pockets, and we have free access. Well, I'll put free in quotations, access to that information. But people are around here practicing for hours how to flip a water bottle and land it upright perfectly. Like not much has changed. Humans are still going to be humans. And even if there is free access to a a university level education and on almost anything that you could think of, nobody's using it. Well, they have the option now. And I think that's the most important thing. Like the potential for self growth is better or like the potential to live the life the way you want to is available now, whereas beforehand it simply wasn't. And the fact that there are those options is revolutionary so that and people w- who need it can use it as, a, as opposed like people aren't doing anything because they don't need to do anything or they live a life of luxury that doesn't require them to actually have to care about things. But there's a lot of people in the world who do. And if that technology doesn't exist and they can't get out of that position. Yeah. According to this definition, you guys are right. I found one. A dramatic and wide-reaching change in the way something works or is organized or in people's ideas about it. So I guess with that definition, 
the internet was a revolution. I guarantee you that your kids will meet their spouse on the internet. 100%. I won't allow it. <laughs> just the way it is, man. I'll say, where did you meet that? Under, under that same circumstance, then blockchain, regardless of whether or not people know they're using it, is revolutionary. But it just it didn't intend to be that way. That that wasn't well, of course. people's. It was driven by pure ideology of cypherpunks in the early days. Like, and that, that's that's a small subset of all the people in the world who align with like that core value set. Mm-hmm. And if we want everyone to have the option to send and receive value over the internet the way they want to and hold on to it for themselves, even just like for people to hold on to their own data and make money off of it potentially, if we want that to happen. It has to be run wait. by some type of blockchain system. Mm-hmm. I want that. Like, I'll sell my data as long as I'm making money off of it. I don't care if you want to see my you want to see my step data, Nike, huh? <laughs> Here you go. Just pay me a little bit of them Nikes. I just don't agree with it. Nike I points. mean, D, you you sent you sent Bitcoin to people that don't understand the space. Uh oh. And <laughs> face, bit, your face. <laughs> this, this morning is rough with the family. Like you sent Bitcoin to a couple people that don't get the space, and what are they doing? Their Bitcoin is just sitting in their account, just growing. They don't know what the hell is going on. How is that going to further this space unless people change? Unless people, you know, dig into this technology and learn for themselves, or else we're just going to be doomed to repeat like the '90s and the 2000s. There's no evolution. Maybe it's not ready yet. Yeah. But that's like it's 10 years in, man. Should be I had a little bit of epiphany that same day we were talking about this custodial stuff is that like usually the biggest changes with the biggest leap is when you compare, you know, there's a big change in psyche when you go from hard bullions to paper currency. And then there's a secondary, there's another huge leap in the psyche when you go from paper currency to credit cards. Right. But we're going from digital currency to digital currency. That's why it's not clicking with people. Like there's been digital currency since like the late eighties. People have been using debit cards for a long ass time. Yeah, they're they're, they're so the we, money that they have is a number in their bank account when they log in. Yeah. People so don't think we, like that though. People don't think that they're using digital currency when they swipe a, a debit card. Some people do. When you, when you ask someone when you ask someone how much money they have, they're gonna go check the number that their bank tells them when they log into their bank. Yeah, so they don't know that they've been using digital currency for this whole time, but that's the leap. That's why there's that's why people inherently don't get why Bitcoin needs to be a thing is because it's not a huge leap from digital currency mm-hmm. to decentralized digital currency. It's like, wait, why do I need this? I'm already doing I'm already fucking with digital currency. I know my bank account. Look, I can open my bank app. It's right there. There's and it's the called number. this and it's called this word that I'm familiar with that everyone else is familiar with dollars. Yeah. It's called dollars and it's right there and it's digital as hell. And I can even pay with my phone now. I got Venmo, I got Cash App, I got all this stuff. Why do I need Bitcoin? And so it's not that much of a, a leap in the psyche. So what do you so, say when you're on-ramping someone and they say that? What do you say? So then I go lo- so then I go lower and said like, okay, well, what gives a dollar its value? You have to go all the Finally, when you dig deep enough, you figure out that like, oh, I have no fucking clue what money is. It's just this thing I use in my life to get things that I need we and didn't, to survive. We didn't know what it was before we, when we got started. And that's that's kind of like the process that we went through as we started building this podcast and talking to people and digging into it. It was like, I didn't know what money was when I first learned about Bitcoin at all. Yeah. And it took and a it, lot of reading always, to figure that out first to then realize what the value add of, of, of these systems are. 
you, know, you, you peel away those onions, but the fact that you, that's the thing that I think is because it's not such a huge leap. We're just going from digital money to a different form of digital money. You have to peel away those layers to get to, oh, that's why Bitcoin is important. And quite frankly, not enough people have that much time in the day to, to peel to peel away those layers or to care. And so like the, I think the revolution yeah. is going to be because like this change to a new kind of digital money allows for new use cases like streaming money. And so when you, when you, because it's, it's a, it's a better form of the same thing, it should allow for different like ways to use it, which means that you can have different applications that like you can consume things differently or earn money differently. And so like most of the time you get paid once a month or twice a month because the, the fees associated with, you know, getting paid per hour of your work is ridiculous. It wouldn't be worth it. So you have to accumulate enough hours and then, and then get paid in a lump sum based on how much, how many of those hours you accumulated. That's not necessarily the case with crypto. You can get paid by the minute if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm just afraid that. Once the volatility of the market is over, I don't, I don't know if people are going to be interested enough. Like, there's, there's an interesting use case right there. What, what happens? To, and we're sorry, we're starting to experience a little bit of that right now. With you have Uber and you have, I don't, actually, I don't know what it works. I don't know what it feels like to work for Uber, but I'm hoping that you get paid after a day's work. But I'm pretty sure that's not the case. I'm probably like, probably like adds up and then they, they credit your your bank account or something. But imagine if you go to work from eight to five and then at five fifteen after your commute, that day's work is already in your bank account. Everybody gets to be a stripper. <laughs> I mean, I try. Shit, why not? <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's that's something that society wouldn't be used to. Right? It's like, holy shit, I did a day's work, I got a day's pay instantaneously. And so what I really think is that the U's and I's of the world, the people that are really paying attention at this early in the game are just going to be the people that work for the entities that make the big decisions. Like, and when I say big decisions, I'm talking about like, okay, the Western hemisphere has its own digital ecosystem and the Eastern hemisphere does what blockchain do we decide they both use in order to have the economic truth of the, of the planet. Nobody's going to be caring about that shit. But we will know enough to say like, oh, they should use block- this blockchain because it allows for X, Y, Z and all of these features. And we'll be able to look at all these governments interactions and see how they're moving money around and data around blah, blah, blah. Nobody's going to care, man. They don't. I had to take a take a morning out of my week to figure out how the fuck uh, pay at the pump works because I kept talking about it. And I was like, you know what? what I'm going to figure that out. I went on the internet and figured out. Oh, like how it technically works? Yeah, how it technically works, how pay at the pump works. And it just leverages the ATM system. That's all it is. It's it's basically, they turned every gas station pump into an ATM. That's what they did. And so instead of you hitting the withdrawal button, you're hitting the punch in my area code or punch in my uh, zip code button. And it starts a withdrawal from your bank account and goes straight into the gas station's bank account. Like, that's it. It's like a little hack on the ATM system. And so does everybody need to be walking around knowing that every gas pump is just leveraging the ATM's network? No. Do they care? No. 
Is it revolutionary? Yeah, because I don't have to fucking see gas station clerks ever again. But I bet you people don't even realize that, oh, I have to put in my zip code when I'm paying at the pump, but I don't have to put my zip code in when I'm buying groceries at HEB and I swipe my card. Yes. They're not aware. They don't care they, either. I don't I don't think this they don't care. They don't know. Okay. I guarantee you they don't know before they don't care. Yeah. Because I think their intention is to make this as passive as possible, to pawn it off as something that's convenient without people worrying about data breaches and why they have to put in zip codes. Should I hit debit? Should I hit credit? They don't care about that. Yeah. We you pay a premium I, on your ignorance. Well, I don't. I think I don't think we should do that with this space. Look, you got you got Where's Brave that? that like what? Then they hit like Mainnet. And then they just crossed 10 million uh, active users. The CEO just says that you can earn over $70 per year using their browser alone uh, next year. And uh, what happened? Their token went down 4% and Ripple went up 80%. And nothing changed for Ripple in the last 24 hours. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. The it, It's just, I don't think it's a, I, a I still think, space. The, I think the economics of this entire space are still like irrational as hell and garbage and driven yeah. by driven by money movers. But... I mean, just because these things may start to grow and people can, like, we are obfuscating how things work. That's that's just kind of minimizes the, I guess, the revolution or like the reaction to the revolution. It doesn't mean you can't dig down and find out. Like the, the, the like, you still have the ability to understand how all the stuff works and get it if you want to. But if we want to provide new services to people who don't care, then that's what you're going to have to do. Otherwise, we're going to be limited to only the people who care, which will never be that big. Unless we I, do, we have to make people care. Yeah, we how, do. How, how do you make? Some, yeah, how, how did we get the internet to adopt? How do we get people who didn't care buy a computer, put in an oh. AOL disk, go into a chat room? How did we get those people to get past this barrier of entry? And now every Every household has free porn in your living room. I know the well, it was that, and it was also hold up. Let me see if I can let me exercise the vocal cords. You got mail, that's it, that's all it took. What that little shot of dopamine that people got when they logged into AOL and it said, You've got mail, turned the whole world on its head. It was You've like, got Holy Bitcoin. Shit. I can't wait to log back. Yeah, that's all. We, that's literally all we need is something like that. We do. Coinbase will give you ten dollars if you sign up under somebody else. If you don't so have I, the noise, you gotta have the noise. You gotta have a noise. They well, gotta have to get a cool. jingle up, then, man. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, it needs to say, uh, "Cha ching, you got paid, motherfucker." Every time it's a Bitcoin goes into yeah. your Coinbase wallet, AOL well said you problem. you get a thousand hours for free. That's your thousand hours free. You get ten free dollars. That could that and that ten dollars could be worth a thousand dollars depending on the market. Mm-hmm. Why isn't that exciting enough for people to just sign up? Because there's a lot of things that offer you free money, man. Let's just keep it real. I have a like I have a grocery shopping app on my phone that I scan the receipt and send it to this app. Magic happens and they collect money for me. And then one time when I go grocery shopping, it's like it's a free grocery trip. I don't know. I don't even care to ask. I just know I'm sending my receipt. They're probably doing all sorts of data mining. Like, look how many bananas this motherfucker eats. Golly. But I don't care. (laughs) At the end of the day, once a month, I get a free grocery trip and it's awesome. Like, there's lots of things that offer you free money. I don't think that's going to be a big pool. 
honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I'm turning into Roger Ver slowly but surely. Don't do that, man. That guy is bonkers. You know, maybe you get is... rich too. I don't know. It's just we're we're nine years into this, and everyone says we're shockingly early. We're not shockingly early. We're yeah, early. Right. We're not shockingly early. I think we're shockingly shocking early. early. Everyone's heard about Bitcoin and blockchain at least once in passing. You're right. I think we're early. You're right. We're still we're still early, and they heard about it. They don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah. They yeah. don't even know it's money. Like they just they like, just like, like I'll that see word a few times. Like who's that guy that a pop that guy on Twitter who has who has like pop. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Pompey or whatever. Yeah, yeah he, he always sends these tweets out like, oh, yeah, another bear market. We just got rid of all the tourists. Yeah. And I'm just like, we need the tourists. Like, why are you casting out a whole segment of people? If we're looking for mass adoption, if we're trying to take over the internet, you're, you're not supposed to ostracize a group of people that don't get the technology. I agree. You know what I'm saying? I agree with that. Like, like, why are we doing that? Like, we want selfish, these people. It's a selfish thing because, like, we don't. I, I only have so much attention that I have in a single day. And if there's a lot of people coming at me trying to ask me what they should buy, that takes away a portion of my attention that I can spend towards other things that are more important. And at least that I think are more important that make a larger impact on moving the space forward as a whole. Because their need, like, because we're, like, my opinion, we're still so early, the majority of people's attention should be focused on moving the space forward. So mm-hmm. that the people who are asking those questions can answer them themselves, or it's more intuitive on how they answer it themselves. They don't require the the, the, the knowledge of an expert to navigate the waters. Yeah, and to continue with your analogy, Cello, it's a symbiotic relationship, man. If you if you live in one of those tourist towns like Corpus Christi, Texas, it's a damn ghost town when it's not seasoned for the tourists to come in. But somebody's got to live there. Somebody's got to build there. Somebody's got to keep it up. Somebody's got to care. And then the next tourist season, the tourists come in and they have a blast and they're doing naked twister on the beach. And you're like, look at these tourists. They don't give a damn. I spent all month combing this beach and getting their trash out of it last time. I like that analogy, but the tourists from last season will never be back. Oh, they will. And that's what I'm worried about. I, they will. I, don't, I, don't, I, I think that they will once they, they feel they get over the burn they think they felt the first time. And I hope. They, I hope they come back. There's a portion of them that are still here, period. So the space is bigger than it was because a portion of those people stayed and learned and, and got involved. And the one, and as it gets more legitimate or more kind of just an everyday part of your life, they won't have a choice or whether or not they come back because that's just how things will work in the future. Like that's the, that's the, that's the point. That's adoption. When it just, you don't have a choice but to use the technology because that's how things work. You don't have a choice on using the internet these days. Anything that's, that a, you do. that's a small percentage of people, though. That's like 17%. Of what? Of like You're talking about laggards, the people that only use DVDs because they don't sell VHS players anymore. Yeah, that's a very that's small the, percentage yeah, of the sure, general but population. But at that point, you've already got everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Let's, let's spin this to the interview so we could talk about XRP when we come back. Yay. So we had a gentleman named Ray Redacted. Uh, who is a self-proclaimed uh, XRP enthusiast. He's also a TBP network enthusiast um, for been for years, um, but became an XRP enthusiast. Um, you can look him up on Twitter, Ray Redacted, quite the following security professional. He told us a bit, little bit about, you know, some upcoming trends and criminal activity on the internet and things to be savvy, 
savvy for if you're into crypto. And he also talked to us a little bit about XRP and that whole thing. So we're gonna we're gonna cut to that now. We talk about like you know the the mitigation of attacks from cyber criminals and hacktivist groups and all that. It's not just about Ripple. It's other yeah, stuff yeah. Too. Uh, uh, let me correct you, sir. XRP. Ripple is a company. XRP is a currency or not, or maybe. We don't know. <laughs> here it is. Hey, we are here with a special guest, Ray, who's a technologist for a global provider of connectivity and cybersecurity solutions. He's got 20 years of, of expertise in application solution design, next-gen network architectures and evolving technologies, including blockchain. Uh, he participates in briefings for law enforcement agencies within Interpol, and he frequently discusses topics such as advanced persistent threats, cryptography at conferences, including Black Hat and DEF CON. And last but not least, he's a long-term holder of both Bitcoin and some shit coins. So let's not forget that. Uh, Ray, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. No, it's great to be here, guys. I heard through the grapevine that you've uh, you've listened to us a few times. Oh, absolutely. I, as a matter of fact, I think that's how we kind of ended up getting together was I wanted to talk to you uh, and D about a few of the things that uh, I've heard on some of the podcasts recently. But I guess I should probably open up by just telling you guys congratulations on this massive, massive amount of success you've had in the last year or so. I mean, it's really taken off, hasn't it? It's been uh, fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's been fun. I guess that's the best way to sum it up. It's uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, we get some in we get every once in a while we get a new show wanting to join the network. Uh we had one recently. Uh we're happy that we kind of built something that people want to join. That's kind of cool. It's always a good feeling when people want to join you and the fun that you're having. Um so uh it's been it's been it's been a good time. No so I'll tell you Dimitri the one of the funnier things is 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 uh I'm sure you have a lot of listeners that listen to you in a lot of different ways and I'm sure you guys probably know there's a pretty good size audience that listens to things at one and a half or 1.25 speed or whatever else. But the habit I'm into, especially um, on just the headers, is I'll listen to it as I go to sleep at night. And then in the morning, I'll wake up and I'll listen to it in the car, right? On the way to work or wherever I'm going the next day or whatever. And it's always so funny because I remember so many tiny little things that came up in just the headers. Cause I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good long show, but it's, it's very information dense. And so it's really funny when I remember the things like the next day, like, I think I've heard this before. Oh yeah. You heard this last night when you were sleeping or whatever. So a <laughs> little good. bit disturbing when you, when you're dreaming along with it, but you know, that's a whole different story for my therapist or something. You mean, you don't like hearing Jesse and Ron's silky <laughs> voices while you're going to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So it, it does cause some funky dreams. I just, I hope they're Sports related dreams and not anything else. So I apologize. <laughs> kind of. Thank you yeah. for listening though. Um yeah, so uh Ray hits me up on Twitter uh, from time to time just to shoot the shit and slash comment on anything that I've been commenting on, which most recently all of my Twitter action is telling Roger Ver he's dumb. Um <laughs> but he doesn't listen to me, so that's okay. Uh, it's probably better for his ego that he doesn't. Um, I say we, we don't have enough security people on the show because I always find them fascinating because it, it's kind of like if you're uh, you're in like the drug enforcement uh, as a law enforcement officer, you probably had a past in drugs. So like the only way you can prevent uh, hacks and, and security breaches is if you know what to look for or uh, 
you know, like he just tweeted, like there's a new twist on an old scam and they target people that are least likely to fall for it. Like that's fascinating to me because you have to understand it from the other side before you can actually prevent it. So you probably have like a thousand cool stories. Yeah. So, you know, Marcel, we were actually just talking before you, before you joined us a second ago, one of the, one of the beefs I have with you guys, or at least I had it with you guys for, for a little while was you would always be talking about Dev, D-E-V-Con. And I kept thinking you were talking about DEFCON, which is the, the big hacker conference that's in Vegas uh, every year, <laughs> usually in July or whatever. And then finally, I kind of I kind of gathered together that it was DEVCON. But I bet you have some listeners that whenever you're talking about DEVCON, they're thinking you're talking about DEFCON, which is the 26-year-old security conference in Vegas. And, and I was just explaining to D that this is a hardcore hacker conference. This is the conference when where you never, ever, ever get on the Wi-Fi. Uh, you buy a special burner phone because they everybody's got stingrays on their Raspberry Pis. And the entire Black Hat community kind of comes out to this conference. And it is fascinating to see how many hardcore, uh, everything from guys that were script kiddies on IRC in their teens to you know, some very, very well-known names in places like Loft, that are now information security professionals. They're they're now white hats, so to speak. And so, are they are they all like? Should I be if I want to go to that conference? Do I and do I have to worry about like hacktivist groups? Do I have to worry about someone scamming me or or do they prey on like people who are just showing up for the first year or is it safe? No, you absolutely should worry about that. And I will actually tell you, you should be worried about that at DevCon as well. You should be worried about that at every cryptocurrency conference that you go to because you guys have targets on you, right? So when we talk about whale phishing, okay, which is going after targets that you know for a fact have cryptocurrency, uh, you guys are kind of in front of half a million people talking about the fact that you're holding or you're hodling, I guess I should say. Uh, so you should certainly be vigilant about your operational security and you should always be extremely distrustful of you know certainly things that come into you via electronic means but even even the new thing which is vishing and that's v like victor which is getting pretexted voice calls from people that pretend they're bank of america and they've got the caller id set to look like bank of america or binance or whomever else and they're calling you up and saying we've had fraudulent activity on your account <clears throat> because psychologically that makes people kind of freak out and they want to act right away right Mm -hmm. uh, but you should always be extremely vigilant about that because the sophistication of attackers that's been around for about 30 or 40 years, they've never had a target-rich environment like they have today. Because in the old days, if we think about the way we used to bank online, if the worst thing you could ever imagine happened to you, like let's say your Bank of America account was hacked, they couldn't really get the money out of it, right? They, there was really no way to to transfer money out of your bank account if they had your login, and certainly not without raising a bunch of alarm bells. And if they had your credit card, you really didn't give a shit because you were only liable. I mean, you really weren't liable for any of it at all. And in some states you were liable for like up to 50 bucks, right? But once somebody actually gets a hold of your private keys, you have absolutely no recourse. I mean, you really can't call the police, right? Like if you call your local sheriff's office, they're gonna either think it's a prank call or hang up on you, right? And you could certainly call the FBI and I would encourage you to do that, but it's not like they're going around recovering Bitcoins that are stolen, stolen from phishing attacks or from BGP hijacks, like what happened with my Ether wallet last year. I mean, so once somebody gets their hands on that, it's pretty much gone, right? And because of that, we have to be especially careful 
about things like multi-factor authentication, uh, about who we trust, and even about what we tweet about, right? So you, you're more than welcome to tweet that you hold Bitcoins, but you should never talk about how many, right? <laughs> For example, um, because the bigger the target you are, the more you're going to get attacked. Absolutely. What about the thing? Is there... So every once in a while, I was getting these phone calls where you, yeah, I pick up the phone and I say hello, and then the other person just hangs up. Is that a vishing thing? Are they trying to get me to say my name so they could record it or something? I, I've always weird. I've always thought yes. that was really weird. So there's a couple things that are going on there. Um, one is in the United States, we passed some laws a couple years ago about robocalling and about. Uh, telemarketing, right? If you guys remember the do not call list, do you guys remember that? I do. Yeah. So <clears throat> when those laws were passed, all of these companies that basically do spam, basically voice spam, like warranty replacements and <clears throat> you're, you've been pre-selected for a prize, they all moved to China and they all started using voice over IP systems to where they can actually call 10,000 numbers for under $2. So what used to cost the hundreds or thousands of dollars uh, is now extremely cheap to do. And it's extremely easy for them to spoof caller ID. So if your number, if your NPA and XX, which is the fancy term for your area code and the first three digits of your phone number is for example, um, 512-555, right? They're going to call you from a number that looks like it's one of your neighbors in that dialing plan. So if you were 512 555 one, two, three, four. They will call you from a number that looks like it's one, two, two, six with the same area code and, uh, and prefix because people are more likely to answer those. Now, what's happening with you, D, is they're trying to profile what kind of calls you will answer because they can actually sell that information to either scammers or tech support scammers or even some of these shadier warranty companies because they know that you're going to answer that number. So when you answer those, you should not say a word. You should just take it off hook and wait to see if they say anything. And then you should just hang up. Now you can also get software on your phone that will really, really, really cut down on how many of those calls you have to even see. Uh, I'm not going to endorse one of those types, but it's certainly, we, we should not be in the habit of answering calls from numbers that we don't know. Anyone that, anyone that you know in real life should be able to text you first, or at least hit you up on Slack or Skype or wherever and tell you they're going to call you. We should not be in the habit of taking unsolicited phone calls. I knew it was a fucking scam. <laughs> well, it, it related to crypto. Like, uh, is it or like what D brought up? Are they just trying to gather meaningful intelligence on you before they actually try to go after you? Yeah. So one hundred percent. So like in the old old days of hacking, and I'm going back all the way to the '80s now. If you remember the movie War Games with Matthew Broderick, I know that may be a little bit before you guys' time, but it's I've seen it. a classic. Um, what he was doing was he was dialing every phone number in an NPA and XX. Okay, that's actually called war dialing because it's actually that's actually what it, it comes from the movie, right? He's calling every number in that NPA and XX looking for a carrier tone, looking for a modem that answers that might have a computer on the other side. And back in these days, most of those computers didn't have passwords or they were default passwords, or they were really, really, really easy to guess. So an entire generation of kids, after having seen that movie, started war dialing on their Commodore 64s and their Apple IIs, and, and, and this is how it all kind of started. What these Chinese companies are doing is they're actually war dialing 
hundreds of thousands of numbers looking for human beings, looking for human beings that are going to answer certain hours, and even getting voice uh, fingerprints from who actually answers so that they can build a profile that knows the difference between voicemail and a human. And you'll notice this because if you ever send one to your voicemail, about half the time they won't leave a voicemail at all because they're just recording your outgoing message, okay, just to have that in their database from a voice fingerprinting standpoint. Now, if we get if we fast forward this tape 30 years, if you think about what it's like to have your voice fingerprinted into a big data computer, it's very possible, you know, that one day people will be able to impersonate you based on whatever they type into a computer or something like that. But that technology really isn't in the uh, in, in the scammers arsenal just yet. But it it will come one day. Mm. And so then you won't be able to trust a call you get from your friend. <laughs> because it'll look like it came from his number because caller ID spoofing is absolutely trivial, which is why swatting is, a, is an issue. Uh, and then it also might even sound like him, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those joke videos where they kind of clip together all these people's voices into an entire sentence, but it, that, that technology is, is really not very far off. Hmm. Scary times. How are people going to know I'm me or not me? Well, you could sign your sign your messages cryptographically. I think we might have a a, a paradigm for that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if only there were a technology that exists that could help us with authentication, serialized <laughs> sure. authentication. But um, anyways, so Ray, you wanted to come on to talk Ripple because I've been I've had some qualms with the Ripple community on many levels. Now I've, I've, I've one. It seems like they are as, um, let me see here. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Zealous. Zealous. They, they okay. seem a bit overzealous. All right. One. Um, two, I can't g get anyone on from the the management of their technology, technology, like head of technology, head of lead dev, any anybody to come on the show. Can't get Tiffany Hayden to come on the show. Um She's been dodging us for three and a half years. She's pretty good at dodgeball, if anybody was wondering. But um, I don't really feel like I'm on this show if you don't even ask me how I got involved in crypto. I, I, isn't that like a rite of passage to be on the show? Oh, yeah. We didn't even say that. We didn't, we didn't, <laughs> that's usually our first question, right? Yeah, okay. I'm ready. Uh, okay, so how did you get into crypto? So in the late 90s, uh, like 98, 99, there was a program called distributed.net that allowed basically your computer to run a screensaver that helped break uh, RC blocks, RC4 blocks, later RC5 blocks. And this is before SETI at home, by the way. This is the precursor to the screensaver that later became known as SETI at home. And I was fascinated by the fact that these university teams and a bunch of these computer companies were forming like teams basically, because it was gamified even back then, to try to break these mathematical and cryptography um, problems. And at the time, I was working for an internet service provider, and I remember thinking at the time it would be absolutely amazing if instead of just breaking these rudimentary mathematical problems, wh what if we were doing something that was actually worthwhile, like uh, 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 DNA sequencing or protein folding or something like that, which both of which, by the way, came about you know, a few years later. Um, but that model, that idea that your idle computer cycles, uh, either at night or when you're away from your computer, could be used to solve this bigger problem, 
uh, was really interesting to me. And so I was kind of involved in that distributed.net community via Slashdot and later even Dig. Remember when Dig was around? Um, and at some point in time, late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of the peer-to-peer -peer protocols kind of started appearing. First, it was Napster, and then it was Nutella, and then it was a lot of different open source clones uh, that kind of came along um, uh, after that point, primarily for file sharing, right? So this was their main use case was sharing music because the digitization of MP3s had happened. And when you combined that peer-to-peer -peer, uh, decentralization with the idea that computers could solve complex problems if they were distributed across a wide berth, uh, it was extremely natural for uh, Bitcoin to eventually evolve. Now, it was revolutionary when the white paper came out, right? I mean, it was a huge, it was like, the, it was like a, uh, a quantum leap in anything that had ever been described up to that point. But the PKI that's, that's actually used there, the, the, the SHA-256, all of those puzzle pieces we're kind of floating around in the ether, you know, out there. And that, that's a pun, by the way, not an unintended pun, uh, to come together for what we now know today as Bitcoin, which was really kind of the, the fundamental uh, use case for blockchain, right? Uh, I know IBM and some other folks can say, we can do blockchain without Bitcoin. I happen to totally disagree with that. I think that you really can't talk about one without talking about the other. So, at any point, sometime late in the 2000s or in the early 2000s to now, I've kind of been following this from some cases from a distance and some cases from you know much more closer up. And then in the last three or four years, uh, I've kind of gotten vocal about it because for the longest time, I really wouldn't talk about uh, cryptocurrency publicly because I didn't really want to be an OPSEC target either. Um, and but uh, you know, in the last few years, actually, because we've seen this huge surge in interest and all these other things. It, it, I've definitely gotten a lot more involved and started holding a lot more, um, hodling a lot more shit coins and, you know, kind of these alternatives, et cetera. So that's sort of my background and that's what, that's what brings you to here. <laughs> but what we want, I wanted to kind of reach out to you was, was you'd said some things in, uh, in episode 216 about, I really can't understand XRP, right? And for those of you that don't know, which I think is probably everyone, uh, XRP is the the cryptocurrency that was is actually an open source uh, protocol that actually runs on the XRP ledger, and it's supported by a company called Ripple Labs, which is a private San Francisco tech tech company that's out there today. So a lot of times people will use Ripple and XRP interchangeably, but XRP is actually the token, right? So I heard that you were talking uh, on two sixteen about I'm not really sure that how it works or what's the use case or how it works or can we hear from uh, from David or from Tiffany or you know one of these folks that's kind of out there in the XRP community, and then at the same time, the folks that advocate for XRP that are that are you know, strong advocates have been under you know what I would probably characterize as attack right on Twitter because there was there's been there's a very vehement uh, anti Ripple or anti XRP sentimentality that's out there. By the way, I, I totally forgot to do this, Marcella. I totally forgot to do this, D. I do have to say up front, I'm not an employee of Ripple Labs. I'm not associated with them in any way whatsoever. I don't have their permission to be on this podcast and I don't need it. So nothing I'm saying actually represents that company. Is that cool? Yep. That's cool. No, no filter then. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but at any rate, so you have this really tight knit community of probably two or 3,000, I would say mega fans of XRP, mega advocates, right? 
And sometime last year, Twitter started shadow banning them. And certain researchers started saying, well, this is a bot army, or this is a shill army, or these aren't real people. And I actually happen to know a bunch of them as real people, right? So I actually happen to know and speak to you know, a lot of the folks that have the highest followings that are out there. And I know they're human beings. And I also do know that they're kind of militant about fighting FUD and they're a little bit defensive about it. Even the Japanese XRP community is a little defensive about it because they constantly feel like they're under attack, right? So I did want to kind of explain a little bit about what the perspective is from somebody that's an XRP holder and somebody that believes that this is kind of the future for cryptocurrency. And I know the criticisms are this is a sellout coin or it's a banker's coin. And I just kind of want to walk through what it is about this that's kind of attractive to me uh, as an investor and, and as a researcher. Okay. The floor is yours. I mean, I'm, I, there's some questions that I'm going to, the low hanging fruit that people need to understand, like what's, everyone claims it's centralized. Everyone claims Ripple Labs owns a very, very, very large amount of it, but it hasn't sure. held in either escrow or some third parties holding on to the Ripple token that they do own. So it's centralized in that aspect of whoever owns the most of it. Um, which actually can be applied to a lot of the shit coins, honestly. <laughs> sure. Um, there's not a lot of different wallets that hold different shit coins. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's dig into to, to XRP. And okay, well, let's, let's start with that question first, the decentralization question, because with, with the exception of the word security, <laughs> decentralization is probably kind of the third rail of talking about distributed ledger technology, right? Is one of the greatest strengths about Bitcoin that makes Bitcoin Bitcoin is its censorship resistance, which is a direct result of its decentralization, right? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the reason that Napster went down when I was telling you that story about Napster before is because there was a central log of where all of the music was being held. That's why they got hit, right? By not by that not existing. Uh, the MPAA and some of the record companies wouldn't have been able to go after them because they didn't actually know what they could. They had plausible deniability about what was going on on the network. So the centralization argument about about XRP really comes down to obviously the hundred billion coins that are in the entire universe, so to speak. Sixty billion of which are in escrow from a, a time release standpoint. Uh, Twenty billion of which were given to the company. Uh, OpenCoin Incorporated, which later became Ripple Labs, right? Because for, for quite a while, this was actually called OpenCoin um, and was renamed for a couple different reasons around the consensus protocol. And then also the validators, the validators, right? Because it, there's this misperception that Ripple Labs, the California private company, controls you know the vast majority, 90% of the, uh, the validators out there, okay? So with regards to the tokens, uh, I think that they've been extremely transparent about the rules for escrow. Uh, they certainly release some every year, like clockwork. Uh, they don't release the full amount, actually, at least not to my knowledge. I haven't seen that, but I have seen them give away a bunch for charity. I think they sold or, or actually distributed a bunch into the uh, exchanges uh, the first quarter of this year. I haven't seen any results from the second quarter yet, but I think that was a big kind of concern. That was kind of a big lot of a lot of discussion around: uh, Can this company really sell, or you know, basically make this available uh, to raise capital from that standpoint? 
And with regards to the validator topic, you know, you'll hear people talk about, especially on Twitter, uh, 47% of the validators are being uh, run by the company or, or somehow associated with the company. And that number is actually falling pretty quickly because Ripple Labs is very interested in getting that number as low as possible. To actually run a validator on the XRP ledger, uh, which is basically the blockchain for uh, Ripple, it's technically not a blockchain, but we don't need to get into semantics on that. You really just need a small computer, so a small general compute device and a really good internet connection, you know, and you can actually uh, set that up just like you can for the Lightning Network on Bitcoin. So the barrier for entry is extremely low. And if you actually look at the maps, you'll see some really surprising names on some of the nodes like, uh, like Amazon and Google and even PayPal and, you know, a lot of these other names. Now, I will caution you that just because somebody's got a DNS name that has that domain doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually being run by Amazon employees, for example. Um, but it definitely, there's definitely a lot of validators out there that are not owned by Ripple Labs. And more importantly, if Ripple Labs suddenly gets evil, okay, if they suddenly do something that is uh, completely greedy or against the interests of the community, uh, the entire XRP ledger will continue to operate without them, right? It's, it's designed to be uh, independent of the company Ripple Labs Incorporated. Now, that obviously would not be something that we would want because Ripple Labs is doing a ton of research and development and product development that's going to make this more widely used by the banks and financial institutes, which is their primary use case. Um, but it is designed to have that independence. So your validator can decide whether or not it wants to trust its neighbors and it can selectively reject, you know, the evil ones, so to speak. Hmm. So, so it's not decentralized yet, but it's trying to get there as fast as possible. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I, I would say that it's not as decentralized as a lot of us would like it to be, but it's certainly getting there faster than, or they certainly making, moving in that direction and it will continue to do so. Right. I mean, if we see a ton of financial institutes and, and, you know, one of the big criticisms that a lot of the XRP haters always talk about is that Ripple, the company, was very eager to announce partnerships that for a lot of the community would be considered almost like betas or almost like a trial, right? But if we think in terms of a lot of the companies that have announced those, the Banks of America, Bank of Americas, the American Expresses, the SBIs, if even a small fraction of these banks decide to actually you know, join the network and become full validators, then that 47% could be 10%, you know, in a, in a very, very short period of time, in like a year or so. What do you think? Has your opinion changed? Has my opinion changed? Um, yeah. I think the biggest kept, like, what's it called? Something that everybody's doing, but nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> like swingers in the 70s or something like that. Like eyes wide shut parties, eyes wide shut parties. <laughs> I think that's the biggest kept secret in crypto right now is that everybody who used to be like a big, big time Bitcoiner, Ether, all these old heads, I guess you'd call them OGs. Everybody owns a little bit of XRP now. And I think it's now just socially, it's socially taboo to say that you hold it. And it's so, more socially acceptable to say to shit on XRP in public. 
That's what it feels like. That's that's what it's starting to feel like. The uh, the but more you gotta time quit doing on. that, then D. Come on, man. I'm not like <laughs> shitting on it. I just want some questions answered that nobody from the XRP camp can well, has been able to answer. So that's a huge like PR nightmare for Ripple that they don't even care about fixing. I, I would not say they don't care about fixing it at all. I would. I think that's a total mischaracterization. You have to remember that the securities debate right now that is raging in every single corner of cryptocurrency, from the SEC to this podcast, right, is such that a private company doesn't necessarily want to be dabbling in advocating for an open source coin that they definitely do not want to be considered a security, right? So here's a perfect example. When Apple launched uh, what we call OS 10 today, that entire operating system is BSD Unix under the covers, right? It's Darwin, it's open source, uh, everything but the Windows container is Unix, right? Well, when Apple advertises, they never advertise the open source components. They never take up for the open source components. They're always talking about the closed proprietary copyrighted trademark stuff that they put on top of it, right? And the reason why is because if you look at open source licenses, you cannot you have to be a disinterested third party to the parts of the code that you can you give back to the community. So it's fantastic for Ripple to be strong advocates of XVIA and XCurrent, right? Those are their proprietary XRapid. Those are their proprietary programs that actually utilize the XRP ledger or utilize the, the cryptocurrency, but they really can't be in the business of massively advocating for this uh, coin because it, it isn't dependent on them and they wouldn't want it to be, right? So that, that it kind of takes away your argument about it not being integrated into the private corporation if you're constantly out there advocating for the, for the public portion of the company. Does that make sense, guys? Yes, it makes perfect sense. It's basically like if we're out here every day with our Ripple jersey on, then when it comes time, if we ever get called into a hearing that it is a security or not, it's going to look really bad when we show up to a court date with our Ripple jersey on. Instead, we can just kind of distance ourselves and let it grow organically. And this way, if it grows organically and it does get the traction and adoption that it needs, then we can have always said, we told you, it wasn't a security. It's actually a utility that people are using uh, to to transfer money around. Yeah, and I got to tell you that that just reminded me of something else too. And this is actually the gist of why I'm an advocate for XRP. Is I brought up the Apple example, right? The Steve Jobs comes back in the '90s to Apple and and, and brings about the iMac and the iPod and everything else. Mm -hmm. But if you go to YouTube and you type in Steve Jobs insult response. There's this classic video where he's on stage at the WWDC in 97, and this dude just rips into him, just, just totally insults him, says, you know, can you explain what the hell you guys did with this project? And after you're done with that, can you tell us what the hell you've been doing with your life for the last 11 years, right? Hmm. And Jobs' answer is fascinating to this because Steve Jobs wasn't really known for being patient or putting up with a lot of bullshit. It's certainly not criticism, right? But his answer, which is kind of long, is basically that one of the biggest problems you have in life when you're trying to affect change, when you're trying to disrupt the current order, so to speak, is that people like this dude who's criticizing me are right. They're absolutely right. You know, there, there's, there's definitely a use case somewhere where I got to use this tiny little widget that we invented and discontinuing it is just wrong. But the biggest problem is, is you can't take the technology 
and then try to turn it into solving a customer problem. Right? You have to find the customer problem first and then work backwards to what the technology is that will get you there. And I think XRP, because they have such extremely narrow use case, right? Swift sucks, okay? Anyone who's ever transferred money to China or Japan will tell you it is more painful to wire money through multiple banks and multiple currencies. It's just an absolute nightmare, right? And with XRP, you can do it to any currency. It takes about three seconds and it's basically free, okay? So when you, when you see those three things happen, it kind of flips a light bulb in your head that, holy shit, instead of waiting 12 or 25 or 37 minutes for my BTC to go through, or instead of stepping on it with gas to make my ETH go through, I can literally click this to my ledger and before I can even hit refresh, boom, it's in my cold storage, right? That use case, which I understand Bitcoin is working on, and I understand that, that Litecoin and certainly that name not to be spoken, BCH, have these kind of components, but for XRP, they're saying, we're gonna do this in a way that is not environmentally irresponsible. So we're not gonna take a beating from Japan or any of the countries that are trying to be green. And we're gonna do it specifically with in concert with the financial institutes. So we're gonna do this ha holding hands with Bank of America and, and, and with American Express and all these other guys. This is, this is the criticism of, oh, that's a banker's coin or it's a sellout. But it's, it's absolutely their use case, right? And that's absolutely what it's gonna be good for once it's actually adopted and those coins are, you know, 10, 12, $13 a pop or whatever, banks are going to want to hold those and sit on them because it's so much cheaper than sitting on $5 trillion worth of Nostro accounts, right? Which is what the, what the system is doing today. These banks are sitting on 5 trillion with a T worth of currency that isn't doing anything for them. It's just sitting there waiting for transfers. Mm -hmm. It's, it's definitely has compelling, um, compelling strategy. I do give that to Ripple. They they're really, in fact, I'm supposed to be giving a guest lecture, guest lecture here at Morgan State here in September, and Ripple has reached out to me and the 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 professor to help the students spark up a Ripple node and help them see how easy it is to build on XRP, and they seem to be actively going to universities and trying to get the students to understand. XRP. I just I, I think they they understand a lot about doing marketing well. Well, let's not forget about that Snoop Dogg concert. That was that was very shitty. But, <laughs> or Ellen. Well, don't forget about Ellen, the Ellen show. Right? And that and that Ellen show. That was Oh just, my god, you were bad mouthed Bill Clinton two weeks ago. How could I forget that? <laughs> I was I was bad mouthing Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah we, we put it, Ripple through the ringer, man. He said Bill Clinton is speaking at Swell, right? That's their that's their big conference, and you were saying that he wouldn't, he didn't even know what it was, that he was just taking the money and. Oh that yeah, that's right. I did say that. And, well, I say that about most all politicians. I think I said that about Andrew Yang on the Andrew Yang episode. And Jello was like, "It seems like he knows what he's talking about." I was like, "Politicians don't know shit. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know shit." Well, then Marcella goes, Marcella said, it's no secret that this is, that Ripple is, a, is very, very popular among the African-American community. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, he's going to get a lot of tweets on that one. And he didn't get a single tweet. Yeah, Cello is like the most controversial, <laughs> but no one like pays attention to the controversy, except me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> except me. 
But you guys act like there's like 20,000 XRP holders. There's closer to a million, okay? There's 200,000 members of the Reddit board alone, right? Yeah, I know it's an extremely <laughs> it's a large community. I know it's extremely large. And every the only reason that I say that is Cello said that is um, <laughs> because I'm in a lot of crypto like black people in crypto groups on Facebook. Why wouldn't I be? I'm a black person and I like crypto. So I get in the groups and like 80% of the conversation is like XRP this, XRP that. And I get it. If something has an extremely low risk, that's the that's the cool thing about currencies. It can't go further than zero, right? Yeah. So if something has an extremely low risk, um, like for instance, when Ripple was worth you know fractions of a penny, and you get a couple hundred thousand people buying something <laughs> for fractions of a penny. And then, oh, by the way, it actually can deliver on the things it says it can do, which is which is an extremely narrow case. But you're right. If you, As long as you can, you know what? You could be like, what's his name? Has made his whole career off of shooting three-pointers. Can't do much else, but he can <laughs> shoot three-pointers. What's his name? Steph Curry? Yeah. Like, well, I guess he's a good, uh, he can do assists. And every once in a while, he plays some good D. But for the most part... Given the ball, he's shooting the three. Like that's that's about it. And Ripple is like, hey, fast tran- fast transfers is what we're about, and that's pretty much it. And so you have a whole community that is extremely bought in. And to tell you the truth, it's just reminiscent of the way Bitcoin was in like 2010 to 2012. Sure. I mean, hell, I was so zealous. Cello thought I had a mental problem. I think so, he still thinks that, though. Yeah, we probably. Yeah, I, I remember. I, I I just didn't buy in, and I panic sold, and then I I came back late. Oh, the FOMO is strong. It was strong. It was strong. But you know what? I, I do have a question for you because it seems like we're talking a lot about human behaviors. What what kind of ethical concerns would would drive a security manager to publicly quit his job? Fill us in on that because you're in this industry. Are you talking about uh, BitFi, the yeah. hardware currency, cryptocurrency company that was supposedly unhackable? Yeah, that's the low-hanging fruit. I, I, I know you could rip them to shreds, but okay. I, I, I wanted to go another route and because I'm seeing members of his cabinet just quit, like just dropping like flies. Uh, uh, what, kind, what kind of ethical concerns would a security manager have? Yeah, so I actually don't know. You said the word cabinet, so I, I think this might be a, a national security question. Is that is that that's the way McAfee makes it? Everything is is you know high level, life yeah. or death. You know, I'm I'm scared to death to even tell you this because I'm afraid someone's going to take my advice and actually watch this. But if you haven't seen the Netflix documentary on him, he said it's fake. He said it, it's 90 percent <laughs> fabricated. He paid for it. It is insane. I mean, and even if you just take out all the really salacious third-party hearsay stuff, even if you just watch the parts where he's actually on camera, you still get a pretty good feel for, you know, the the bath salt allegations and the anal ingestion allegations and all of those kind of things are definitely throughout there. And then you add into that uh, someone with a lot of money and a lot of drugs and a lot of guns. And you're going to you're going to have a, a bad time. <laughs> I mean, that's all I will say. So, you know, I know he's thrown down the challenge to the Cyber Gibbons research team, some of whom I know uh, in real life. Uh, he's thrown down the challenge to them that he'll give them 20 million bucks if they'll fly to I think it's Malta or some island and basically be around his goons with machine guns uh, to so that he can prove that, that it's an unhackable device. 
Uh, I wouldn't go there for two billion with a B uh, fiat dollars. There's no way. I might go there for two billion XRPs because we all know that's going to ten bucks any day now. But uh, that's a whole different story. Um, but yeah, so the 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 conversation around <laughs> around RS illustrious probably second or third most followed Twitter account in, in cryptocurrency. He's not doing us any favors. He's not doing us any favors with some of the antics, not doing us any favors with some of the tweets and uh, not doing us any favors with, uh, with, with even some of the shilling and stuff that he was doing for a while. No, he's not. When he takes enough downers and gets on TV and can talk about mining and there being intrinsic value to, to cryptocurrency because of the proof of work algorithm, uh, having, to exist and kind of propping up all of this, yeah. then he kind of makes sense. But if he's not on his downers, you know, I don't know. I, you know how I feel about McAfee. He's just an ad. He's a character. I don't know. I, if I, you guys I, want to have a conversation about that entire kind of infosec crypto overlap, I, that's something I would love to, to do. Or we can we can we can talk for hours about that. Yeah. But it's probably outside the scope of today. Yeah, a little bit. I, I actually want to have you on frequently. You're fun, <laughs> fun to talk to. And plus, you listen to the show. That's kind of cool. We, yeah, we it just sucks that we waited this long to get you on. Yeah, I'll, like, take, uh, I'll take responsibility for that. So. What? What? <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know. One, from a portfolio perspective, which is how I most closely look at this entire space because um, – I look at this as a great generational wealth builder for, you know, any person who's kind of young and who's trying to build wealth for your family and you have a portion of your portfolio uh, positioned to risky investments. Uh, cryptocurrency might be something you should look into. Um, but the risk for XRP is extremely low. It's 33 cents. I think I checked it. Um, you know, so you do the math on that. Uh, and you know uh, when it comes to having it in your portfolio i think that you know a lot of people in crypto say they don't but i know that they do because it's <laughs> popping up on coin telegraph's ticker it's on coin coin ticker um coinbase is even starting to they release that whole this is our doctrine on tokens that we are and are not going to allow and i feel like some of the stuff that they're saying now is like, oh, okay, so you're kind of building the path to, you know, be hypocritical of what you said. And um, I think XRP is the thing. I'm trying to find a saying, but I just can't. I'm just going to say I feel like a lot of people in crypto own a lot of XRP, but they just don't want to own up to it. So I don't have any. I really don't. Well, um, we know we, we we know about your holdings. Could you talk about them a little bit too much on the Tron, podcast? Tron, we'll guys. take that offline. I gotta <laughs> I gotta bounce for just a sec, second, y'all. Uh, I've actually, up. Marcel, I've actually got a twelve year old son that trades cryptocurrency, and uh, he 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 has some uh, he has some rather interesting holdings. Not much, but he has he has some rather interesting ones that are a little bit uh, a little bit off the deep end. But he's the only twelve year old kid on the playground that'll call me up and say, "Daddy, I need you to dump this and get into ETH, ETH, ETH. It's gonna moon." <laughs> No, that's awesome. Guys, oh. for me, it's just, I'm not I'm not really patient with my bags because everything just kind of follows the majors, and I'm just not patient. And I know I might regret it someday, but I'm as long as I get twice my money, I'm 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 selling. Some people, you know, it, you know, if I don't quadruple my money or ten times it, 
you know, they have a lot more patience than me. So, well, and you're the Coinbase guy too, right? You you, you still haven't moved up to Coinbase Pro or uh, or Binance you're calling me out, man. Yeah, <laughs> you read me like a book. That's true. <laughs> we got to get you at least at least get you away from those transaction fees, if nothing else, man. That's if, true. Do you have a do you have a ledger or a treasure yet? Do you, are you using the I hardware do. wallets? I do. I have a ledger blue, and I all of my I would say ninety. 98% of my crypto is, is offline. So multi-factor on absolutely every website, I assume. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's the advice on the multi-factor side is you should use multi-factor everywhere you can and don't be a member of any website that doesn't support it. Absolutely. And in the United States, that means a lot of our traditional banks that are still using SMS, which I don't consider to be true multi-factor because it's so easy to, to hack that. But that's another conversation for another day as well. Well, is there anything that uh, you wanted to talk about um, that we, we missed out on or should we save everything for part two when you inevitably come back? Yeah, the only thing I didn't really get to that I was talking about at the very, very beginning, kind of the history of Napster and the and the file sharing and, and, and the, the, the music sharing and stuff like that was, you know, if we think about that as the metaphor for XRP, uh, Apple came along and made it legal and easy to buy 99 cent songs. The record companies were were really pissed that they did that, but they were getting music was basically getting copied left and right on the playground and on the file sharing networks and everything else. And it turns out that when people are given a a safe, you know, corporate uh, predictable experience that they, people do gravitate towards it. So it's kind of hard to imagine a world without iTunes or without Spotify or whatever else. Uh, back when you could download songs and they'd have viruses and shit all over them and everything else. But I think in many ways, I think XRP is kind of offering that for the banks is some of the benefits of distributed ledger, some of the benefits that we associate with, uh, with blockchain but a really easy path for resistance. And I, I think they're what they're gunning for the hardest is Swift. And I think most people agree that Swift needs to be disrupted, uh, you know, for the good of humanity. I think that's a good analogy. Cause I remember being in my dorm room, uh, with Kaza, I think it was Kaza light. Kaza, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause all light and just virus central. So. Yeah. Um, or you get fake songs. They play like 10 seconds. I've, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. I don't remember that from my own. Oof. <laughs> Well, there's one question that we ask everybody. Um, you know, you know the drill. You've listened to us. Um, in in ten words or less, can you describe blockchain? Yeah, I would say uh, censorship resistant, revolutionary way of transferring value. Nailed it. <laughs> like it. Thank you guys very very much. I've really enjoyed this. Again, like uh, you're, you're welcome anytime. It's it's a crime that we're in episode 200s, and this is your first appearance. So, yeah, it was great talking to you guys. Sorry about that, guys. That was a really important phone call. Sorry about that, audience. <laughs> no worries. It's all good. Um, it was good. Good talk. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. I'll I'll be hitting you up on Twitter. It was great talking to you both. I'll see you on Slack. And we're back. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Ray Redacted. Um, security professional, self-proclaimed XRP enthusiast, uh, the Bitcoin podcast, the Bitcoin podcast network enthusiast. Um, yeah. So you guys want to talk about XRP? Go I mean, the floor is yours. Oh yeah. So yeah, D, D, we, we want, D did not want to talk about Ripple or XRP. XRP, damn it. Yeah. It's, they're all the same. It's all, it's all, it's all part yeah, of the same not, thing. They're all part careful. of the same thing. Whatever. They're not even close to the same thing. Ah, whatever. Shut up. Anyway, like the price of XRP went up pretty meteor meteorically. 
this past week for some unknown reason. Nothing's changed 80%. as far as I know. Either way, it, do I mean, it doesn't matter. But what I wanted to say about this is that last time, during the last major bull run, when everything was on fire and going up and going up, and it seemed as though if you threw money at the wall, you were going to win. If that happens again, I would say like XRP and Ripple were on the main stage in terms of trying to like they were on like CNBC and you know Mad Money and all that kind of stuff and they had like guides on regular regular news channels on how to buy this stuff and what it meant. And if you're seeing that, I would say something's wrong. Like you're we're at the top, right? Like if, if I think if you're seeing that a lot, then be careful with how you spend your money. Because a lot of people got in at that point because they learned from regular news channels and you know on how to buy this stuff and they thought it was legitimate because it was on these channels because it, you know basically the news had gotten big enough that it was worth reporting on these things more often than not they probably just paid somebody to say it and they bought some and then everything came down and they lost a shitload of money potentially so just i just want to say be careful so if you start seeing things like that, those are signposts, in my opinion, of something's wrong or like we're at the top and and people are going to start taking money away and taking their profits. Mm -hmm. We're at a local top. Yeah, local top, local maxima. I, I think XR, I think Ripple Labs has a good long term strategy and they do. If you just look at their leadership team, which is very strong, like a lot of a lot of experience, a lot of high level executive experience. They're doing things, they're in it for the long haul, which means that the story and the narrative around Ripple is so fuzzy, they can withstand long, they could just be here for a while. And you notice all these new ingredients are popping into the Ripple soup. Like first it was Ripple, then it was like, oh no, we're not Ripple, we're Ripple Labs. And then, oh, we're just going to put a bunch in escrow. And then well, now we're going to, oh, shit. It's not called Ripple anymore. It's called XRP. Change all of your programming from RPL to XRP. So they're like the, the P. Diddy, the Sean Diddy Combs of, of the cryptocurrency space? Yeah. They just keep it new and fresh, and you never know what's going on. You know so why they, they, you know how he does that, right? You know why he keeps changing his name. Doesn't he do that like to make new deals? Yeah. It's, for, it's to get out of old legal legal deals. Yeah, to get out of old deals. And so with... So now XRP doesn't move on the XRP network. It's got this thing called X Rapid, and then there's also this thing called X Current, and then there's X whatever the hell you want to call it. So there's just one, it's not really a cryptocurrency. You can't call it that. It doesn't use blockchain. They say they do, but they don't. And I can't get any developer on there to 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 refute that. Um sorry, Ray. I know you were just on the show and you're probably not gonna like hearing this, but you're welcome back. <laughs> um i wasn't there to, to like to, to dive into like technical questions i like i would have i would have asked like how does this shit work i've never had someone tell me how it works i think it's more... you know, Corey, i, I could have asked that how do you know why didn't you i might have i can't remember the interview did you tell him <laughs> i don't know <laughs> just saying i, I might have went into the weeds with it you don't know i'm gonna have to listen and see if either one of you asked oh. that <laughs> Because neither one of you remember. Like, awesome. I had to go like halfway through the interview. So that was pretty bad. Yeah. But, I mean, this is, and this is another thing that's kind of, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's just playing on the reality of human nature. And there's a large part of humanity that is powered by greed, greed and fear. 
they're like two of the greatest motivators that exist for us. And when you see Bitcoin and you look at a $6,000 price tag, but when you see Ripple, which by all, like from the outside looking in, XRP has got its shit together. Like they're on Ellen, damn it. Ashton Kutcher's sending millions of dollars to Ellen and the snap of a finger. And then you see an investment opportunity of a token that's at 30 cents. You're going to buy the 30 cent thing way before you put even a fraction into the $6,000 thing. There's there's probably a reasoning behind why they have so many tokens is because of that. And so playing off that people thinking that they can buy that low and it eventually get to the price of Bitcoin because Bitcoin did it. They don't understand the economics of, of the number of tokens, total supply, circulation, things like that. Exactly. So they're going to build this bit, this this economic base based upon the ignorance and greed of a large, large amount of people. And Ripple's just going to be around. So, excuse me. XRP is going to be around for a very long time. It's not going away because it has that economic base of users for whatever reason. Well, I, I, here's a question that's like play, to play devil's advocate. If you can use it, if you if Ashton Kutcher can send millions of dollars on a, in a split second on Ellen, is there a problem? Is it a useful platform? Well, I was I was reading that the Mimblewimble, which was regarded as something highly, is now a protocol that is turned into shit coins because when you give people the incentive to print, they're going to print. So there's this thing called Grin which has 50 coins printed every minute. Then there's a thing called Beam, which has like a Zcash-like founder reward system. So now it's like diluting the tech, the protocol because... Well, you could say the same thing that yeah, happened to Bitcoin right. in other days. I remember all, like, right. the, the term altcoin came from all of the coins that were forked off of Bitcoin. Not, not like the blockchain wasn't forked. The code was forked and they just started a new one. And you could mine it. Like... It, it was all like basically forked between that or Litecoin so that you could mine it with different types of, of hardware. And so you just had like new coins, sh- like p- like pure shit coins. They were never going to go anywhere. Starting every single day, blowing it up Bitcoin talk uh, org, like the the, 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 the the newsletter or forum. And and that was that's where that's where it came from. And, and so every time you build something that allows people to start a new chain, start a new coin, start something. There's going to be this explosion of crap, but there's a few that will actually use it for, for like legitimate purposes and then grow a community around them and become legitimate. That doesn't mean because all the other shit that happens like in a promotionless way, like you can't stop people from doing that, that mm-hmm. everything is bad. It's just, that's the natural way of things. Like we can sell the same thing with ICOs. Some ICOs that made money are going to do something with that money. A lot of them won't. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people write Ripple off, you know, an X current or whatever it is he was talking about because they're in bed with American Express. They're in bed with Western Union, MoneyGram. Okay. Well, that, so I, I think, there's, I, I think there's, the narrative just hurts the technology. There's multiple sides to the story. I'm talking, I, I, you can have this like wonderful, open, permissionless blockchain systems and networks and things like that and simultaneously make banking infrastructure less shitty. Like those, those two, those two things can happen at the same time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You can you can make traditional infrastructure more efficient or better, while simultaneously offering a whole new paradigm of doing things. And they're and it's both good. They don't take away from each other. Mm-mm. 
now. Uh, I don't know. This is just a space of maximalists. I think it does hurt. I, th- I think you're you're like the perfect person in the space. I think everybody should be like you, but they're not. No, they're not. But hopefully, people listen to me eventually, and I and I we as a network can help people understand how to look at things from a, like a a decent yeah. point of view. We should have books that come out with like cash money. Do you remember what you did for the lawnmower team? Yeah, that's how our book should look. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. Us rolling around in Cadillacs with giant piles of gold behind us that don't make any sense because it's not how we live. But... Diamond plated tanks. Yeah, <laughs> and I need grills. I need diamond grills. I mean, th- that allure to make money is very, very, very powerful. And that's just never going to go away. That's everybody's first reaction when they're like, oh, wait, you made lots of money in Bitcoin? Well, why don't I just make my own Bitcoin and say it's better? That's never going to stop happening, ever. So somebody's always going to find a way to reflavor that story, refurbish that story, and resell it. Like now even this... This dude, I wish I could find the article. I was reading it this week. Like the god, a cypherpunk god, like he made digital currency back in the early 90s, comes out of retirement. But guess what he does? Instead of like working with the Bitcoin core team or the Ethereum core team, he's like, I made my own cryptocurrency. And since I'm the godfather of cypherpunk, you know it's better than all the rest. And I flipped it. Instead of like generating new blocks, you just generate new transactions. And I was like, What? What is this? Well, I get it, though. It's like, you know, when cell phones came out in the 70s, we can't say, oh, Motorola is going to be the king of cell phones. So no, everyone who entered the space didn't just attach themselves to Motorola. They created all these other entities. That might, that might be his mindset. Like, you know, instead of attaching myself, maybe I can create the new AT&T or, or something. That's, that's true. I get that. But with money, there's nuance. And the, the line that you walk to teeter between the left on the left side of this line there's fraud on the right side of this line there's everything except fraud (laughs) you you, you have to be very careful that's a hard that's a that's a nice dichotomy you just made yeah like (laughs) and so when you're like guess what guys i made a new money everyone's initial first reaction is like you fraudulent bitch yeah (laughs) like why do i that's like rolling into chuck e cheese with uh mr gaddy's tokens it's Mr. Like, Gaddy, I, wow! I got Miss, I got Mr. Gaddy's tokens, baby. And they're like, why? We, we got tokens over here, Chuck E. Cheese land. We don't need huh. Mr. Gaddy's tokens. They and just opened like, up a Gaddy's here, by the way, Corey. It ain't old, old news. Oh wow! How about that? Yeah. Now these arcades, they're using debit cards on the machines. It's, it's crazy. Oh man, it is ridiculous. So Ophelia got one of those, and she just goes up and uses the card and touches every machine without playing the game. <laughs> she's so excited about touching the card. It's so dumb. <laughs> don't give like, her uh, an FC hard wallet. Like, don't. yeah. <laughs> Why do they take away tokens, man? That's that was great about. All right, I'm getting way off topic, but that's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. That's, that's a sore subject for me. Putting the token on the arcade machine. Yeah, man. Oh yeah. Or and your ID card because you could do that now. <laughs> nowadays, if you just set your ID card down on anything, just yeah. theft. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways. I guess we'll wrap it up. It's been an interesting uh, episode. Uh, thank you guys again for uh, we're, we're starting to get more people in the Slack that say they listen to everything that's provided. Uh, Crypto Bully, uh, DJ NES, um, Dose of Ether, um, Reese. Just the Headers, Hashing It Out, Reese. 
thank you guys. Uh, we're trying to give you guys a wide umbrella of content. Um, so, so you never have to leave the network. No, I'm Reese. kidding. That was ominous. Um, I guess to the point now where, like, if you don't listen to us for two days, you're underwater. So much content you're behind on. Hey, don't say that. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't give people a reason to not listen. Don't say that. Yeah, don't give them- <laughs> Choose what you want. You'll, we'll always be here. Yeah. Don't give them anxiety. Um, well, thank you guys for tuning into the network. Um, speaking of which, new episode of Just the Headers just came out. So if you want to check that out, uh, we go into the intricacies of dancing like Jean-Claude Van Damme. As well as uh, <laughs> some of the <laughs> some of the uh, findings in the integrity report that the New York Financial FinCEN released. Um, apparently, a lot of the crypto exchanges are doing dirt. Um, once again, I go surprise, back to my surprise walking the tight line of fraud and not fraud. <laughs> uh, they're they're really teetering some of these exchanges. Um, or maybe they're not. I don't know. I can't make those accusations. But there were some good findings in that report. Um, hashing it out came out. Corey, what was this week's? We talked with Dr. Surreer. I actually listened Avalanche to it. And Ava. I listened to it actually, Corey. Nice. As the ambassador of GPPs, what's your uh, rating? One out of ten, Cello. It was ten because I actually followed it. Uh, so they talked about uh, gossiping versus flooding. And uh, they brought it down to layman's terms. And then Corey made the mistake of saying, oh, no, don't you need Goon Surreer. You need to talk to us the way you talk to your uh, faculty, oh, yeah. your peers. Don't talk <laughs> like you're talking to someone off the street. And then it, like I got lost. But the first half was really good. <laughs> the first half was really good. Yeah, we got. We and got I, I also learned that. when you see him, call him Goon because his first name is a formality. Yeah, it's a family oh. formality. So it's a filter. If you're not friends with him, if you don't really know him, you'll call him by the formality and he'll write you off. So oh, call him good. I could just picture like if that were a room and it were Corey and Colin and, and Goon and you, Cello, in there in the room. And as soon as Corey is like, talk to us like faculty, Cello, Cello just gets up and gives you guys the peace sign. And he's <laughs> like, guys. I'm out. I'm going to go, go catch lunch. I'll see you guys later. I mean, uh, I, I, learned, I learned a little bit and that's, that's more than I thought I'd get out of it. So that, that's a win. When you say gossip and flooding, are you talking about noise and signal? No. So gossip and flooding are two different uh, like ways of spreading a message around a network. Flooding is oh, so f- flooding is a form of gossip. So uh, so like a flood when you flood a message across the network, you send the message to all of your peers, and then they send the message to all of their peers without questioning whether or not they should send it. Mm. Gossip is the same thing, but them questioning whether or not they should send it. So they may or may not send it to all of their peers or only a subset of their peers. So what I was thinking is like, if if a big tidal wave hit a city, you're calling your neighbor out of necessity. Gossip, it would be more like of a choice and not much urgency. So choose whether or not you're gonna, you're gonna send the message to your peers based on some criterion. Okay. Good stuff. Um, what else? Oh, and the long-awaited Law and Blockchain podcast will be coming to you after you listen to this episode that you just heard uh, with Amy Wan. If you don't know who Amy Wan is, she's the CEO of Sagewise. Sagewise, it is the um, what do they do? It's like a smart contract. Uh, <laughs> what's it called? When what would you say you, you do around here? What, what did you say what? you do here? <laughs> what is <does it> say? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, here we go. It's a safety net for smart contracts. 
um, and a consultant for Security Token Academy. So um, security tokens are going to be a thing. I know you guys keep hearing it. Um, uh, it's something you're probably going to want to know about. Um, She's making the rounds, too, man, on other podcasts. She needs to stop doing that. What? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, That's she, something that we she, don't. That we're, we yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I guess that's it, man. Um, Holler. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana and Zazie Beats and Carla Lewis. Uh, play. Holla, holla, holla.